Culture Proof is brought to you by BJU Press Homeschool. If you've come to homeschooling or you're thinking of homeschooling to preserve a solid biblical worldview in your children, you should consider the curriculum we trust to help with biblical worldview formation. BJU Press Homeschool is here for you and with you as you center Christ in the education of your kids. Visit our friends today at BJUPressHomeschool.com. That's BJUPressHomeschool.com, the premier sponsor of the Culture Proof Podcast. Thanks for listening to Culture Proof. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And today we are having um, what may be one of our, I, I would say, one of like the best types of conversations that we oh, like to man. have, which yes. is a conversation about biblical worldview and what that looks like truly lived out. Mm. I think it can be difficult. Sometimes we hear biblical worldview. We yeah. hear all of the stats about how we just don't have one as Christians living in <laughs> 21st century America, but we really don't understand um, what it is. Um, I will say this in all of the conversations that I have heard and even been a part of when mm. we talk about biblical worldview, a lot of it is very heady. Mm-hmm. We talk about knowledge, mm-hmm. um, but we don't talk about how that produces holiness in us. And so mm. we want to have a conversation about how a strong biblical worldview produces holiness, or at least how it's supposed to produce holiness. Yeah. And joining us to talk about that is Dr. Renton Rathbun, who is um, the director of the Center for Biblical Worldview at Bob Jones University. And he also, I'm going to ask him to go through his credentials, because honestly, some of the abbreviations I didn't understand. <laughs> like I, like I, I read them and I thought, oh man, that's, that's really, I don't know what that is. Like, like, I don't know. All, when I look at your credentials, uh, Renton, what I see is like years and years and years of dedication and study. And thank you for doing that because it has produced what you are able to contribute mm-hmm. to the body of Christ. Tell our listeners and our viewers just a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, well, I mean, as far as the credentials go, I think I got one, only one credential that actually can produce a job. The other ones are, <laughs> are, are, uh, it takes a lot of faith to do it. Um, but I, uh, I grew up in Ohio um, and uh, in Toledo, Ohio. Mm. Uh, people are always interested when I say I grew up in Ohio and they're like, oh, interesting. And they're Toledo and they're like, oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it's it, it's true if you go there it's a terrible place but um but i grew up in toledo um i ended up going into the military uh because i didn't know how i was going to pay for college so i thought the military would do it hmm. and they did um and then i ended up going to bob jones hmm. uh, university i majored in english education so that was the one degree that i got that i think actually can get a you can get a job from from that degree <laughs> the next degree i got was at bob jones it was um it was basically a, a master's in theater. Uh, hmm. To make it sound really cool, they called it interpretative speech. And then uh, I ended up teaching at Pillsbury Baptist Bible College up in Minnesota, which then opened the door for me to work on a degree at Minnesota State University. In, and I got an MFA in creative writing. Again, yeah. uh, <laughs> not too many jobs. <laughs> um so what? So, then, so is that Masters of Fine Arts? 
Yes, ma'am. Okay, right. I just, I just, cause see, I, I, I didn't, I was like, what is that? Is that like fighting? Like, I don't know what that is. I feel, I feel like I'd like to say that to somebody on the streets of New Orleans. Hey, don't mess with me. I've got my MFA. My master's in fighting. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, and just to make sure uh, I couldn't use it, I got, I concentrated in poetry. So, um, <laughs> But that's fine. It, it, that opened the door for me to teach back in Toledo, Ohio at a community college called Owens State Community College. Uh, taught there for 15 years. Mm. Um, but while I was there, I got bored. So I, I got a master's in philosophy. Again, <laughs> uh, not a lot you can do with that, but I, 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 you can teach it. So I was teaching yeah. philosophy after that for many years. Um, that got me interested in theology. And so I went up to um, to Puritan Reform Theological Seminary and got mm. a Master's of Theology, what they call mm. a THM, in Systematic Theology. And then that got me interested in apologetics. And so I went to Westminster and got my PhD in apologetics there and somehow ended up back at Bob Jones University. Mm. That's incredible. <laughs> now, did I, did I hear right that you um, studied under Carl Truman, that he was your instructor? Is that right? Yes, uh, I had a I had a couple classes with him. I even had a I even had a uh, independent study with him in which I was late for our first meeting. <laughs> it wasn't my fault, by the way. Uh, it <laughs> never is, you know. Me. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But he was he used his British, you know, my goodness, to to admonish me. Mm. I was like, well, if this is how it's going to be. Like, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Uh, so. And you want to pull out your your British accent? No, it's not. It's not going to be that way. It's not. <laughs> I, I promise. I'm from Ohio. <laughs> it's not. Sorry. Oh. Yes. Yeah, so, but he was he was incredible. Um, he's as as good in person as his books are. So. Wow. 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 Yeah, and I, I love that you put it that way, because I think that's how so many of our listeners will be acquainted with him, not really um, having heard his voice, but reading his work and his contributions to the body of Christ, which are so genuine and so just um, what I, I feel like uh, common sense, but like more than that. You know what I mean? Like practical, maybe is the word that I'm looking for, mm. because as you read it, you think, yes, that's what I see. And you think, yes, and that ought to be the response. And 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 you're not using um, love as a cover-up for excluding the truth, mm, right? Yes. That we can have right. both at the same time. Hey, if you're listening to this podcast and you are enjoying what you hear, please remember to give it a rating or to leave a comment. Let people know that this podcast is a blessing to you. It helps to grow Culture Proof and we would be so grateful. Also, if you love Culture Proof and you want to support the ministry, why not pick up some merch and look good while you support the ministry of Culture Proof? Check out every podcast. You'll find a link in the description to where you can get your Culture Proof merch and support support this ministry. We appreciate it. I think that's a great way to segue into um, biblical worldview. First question, you were asking me this before the interview, and I thought, yeah. well, ask Renton. He's the one with all the letters. And I often have this, this question, and I, I think about this when we talk about biblical worldview. It seems like that, that should be something that we have already. 
just it, it, <laughs> as taught through our churches. And, it, and it, to me, it's like that we have this specialized thing called biblical worldview is amazing to me because as Christians, it seems like that should be a given. Um, what are your thoughts about that? Should the church be more involved? Should that be the job of, of the church to, to give that? Yes, it is the job of the church. And, you know, you want educational institutions to supplement the church. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but not replace the church when it comes to that. Yeah. And this is why, because in institutions, what you could end up doing is making biblical worldview one perspective of many perspectives. We just think this is the best perspective. Mm, That's okay. how you're thinking. You mm. miss biblical worldview because yeah. what the church is good at is putting it in your heart so that it becomes a natural, what we would call, view of the world. Because mm. um, we we live, I believe, in the middle of a reality war. Uh, some people call it a culture war. Mm. I, I think it's more of a reality war. And in a reality war, people are trying to convince everyone what reality really is. This mm. is why we have problems with pronouns. It's why uh, male swimmers can suddenly be on a girl's team and no one, you know, no one can say anything. Uh, we have this giant reality war going on. And in the end, a biblical worldview should be part of the solution to what is real, not just what is my perspective or even just what my lenses are as I see the world. Mm -hmm. And that's where we get into that whole idea of holiness. Yeah. yeah. Let's So let's stay here on, on this idea of this being a reality war that we are engaged in, because I think in some ways, Renton, and tell me your thoughts on this, that we have not been, by our culture, we've not been permitted to think in terms of reality. It seems that everyone's imagination and everyone's, um, I don't know, preferred proclivity is, is reality, and they are then free to project that onto us. And what I have found really unfortunate is that in the body of Christ, we have accepted that as something that is normal and healthy and even beneficial to the proliferation of the gospel. That yeah, we wanna we wanna affirm people's realities as as sort of like blanket reality. Um mm. help me unpack that. Absolutely. We have we have um we have bought into the idea that the church has been evil towards other people. Now, there, there have been churches that have been evil towards other people, treated people poorly. But I was reading a book the other day by an author who is a very conservative Christian pastor. And he was writing about LGBTQ and how the church needs to relate to these people and things like that. And he made this blanket statement that he said, you know, the church has treated LGBTQ people horribly for years. They have not felt welcome in our church. They have felt rejected. We have, you know, they have said terrible things about what the church has done to them. And then he moves on. <laughs> and I'm like, well, how do I know that's true? I mean, right. how do I know the church has been really evil towards people for all these years? I mean, did he call people up and say, hey, how, how'd you treat people in the past? <laughs> oh, we treat them bad. So, oh, mark that down. I mean, there was no survey done. He doesn't know. He just, and then everyone goes with it. It's like, well, that makes sense. Yeah, because we're mean to people. Hmm. And so we, we buy into the idea that Christianity has been mean. And so therefore we now need to be nicer. And nicer mm. then means we need to be okay with people 
and meet them what they say where they are. Now, what they mean by that, of course, we always meet people where they are. Where else are we going to meet them? Um, mm. But be happy with how they are. And this is where we have a misunderstanding of God himself, who is not happy with how we are. Um, when God meets us where we are, his full intention is for us to change. Mm. And in that in that desire for us to change is that love, because that's the most loving thing he could desire for us. Wow. And so to, in today's world, if you want someone to change, this is almost an evil act towards someone else. Um, you should accept me for who I am. That's mm. true love. True love mm. is accepting me as I am right now. You don't want anything to change. I mean, if anyone's been married for longer than 10 minutes, you know <laughs> that the person you married needs to keep changing because you can't. I mean, no one. No we one can't agree to... with you on that right now. <laughs> we can't. We can't. Like other people may affirm what you just said, but we are fine with each other. Okay, right, right. So just stay out, stay out of our business. And <laughs> stick with apologetics. Go ahead. Sorry about that. <laughs> Got to stay in my lane. <laughs> but I mean, if my wife was still married to the twenty-six-year-old Renton Rathman, I mean, we'd be divorced, and I would, <laughs> I, and I would, I would completely understand why she would want to leave me. Um, and so, you know, change is important. Yeah. And, 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 that's, and that's another thing. Our young people are misunderstanding that the culture has won on them is that they still believe that God is here to give me my best possible life. Mm. Oh. And that is not why God is, is getting into your life. He's getting into your life for the most gracious, most wonderful thing he can do for you, which is transform you into the image of his son, mm. which is going to create a lot of pain and a lot of suffering because it's better to have pain and suffering and start becoming the image of the son than to live this wonderful life and die without the image of the son. Oh mm. man. I know wow. Will the Great, you wanted to follow up. I just, I wanted to echo something that I heard you say recently. You said one of, or maybe you said the most compassionate thought that we could have toward people is that apart from Christ, that they are going to hell, that they hmm. will be destroyed. And when I heard you say that, it was so jolting. And I thought, that is reality. You know, when we talk about love, and, and I think what you're even touching on now is that many times people do not want to change because pregnant in this expression that you need to change is that something is wrong with you. And we live in a culture where nothing is wrong with me. Mm. Like I am free to be who I am, or if I'm going to change, it's going to be a better version of me. It, it is not going to be this transformation that says I'm going from death to life. It is just, how can I be the best me? And what remains is always this, this me, mm. if you will. Yes, it is. Um, in the Christian world, it becomes sanctified narcissism. Ooh. Wow. They they have this, you know, this sense of God wants me to be me because he made me this way and and all that sort of talk. And we act as if there isn't this old sin nature that is trying to destroy us. Mm. And 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 going back to the phrase you were referring to, this was a phrase that Dr. Bob the third here at Bob Jones used to say when he was the president, he would say, the most sobering reality in the world today is that people are dying and going to hell today. And he would make us, he would make us repeat that to him. And the, at the beginning of chapel, he would say, the most sobering reality in the world today is 
and we would say that people are dying and going to hell today. Wow. And 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 that reminder <laughs> where the people that that you are coming across, even people that are trying to in a gruesome way demonstrate their sin to the world should mm. should sober us um with compassion towards them because they are they are increasing their speed toward hell and we want to we want to stop them um out of love amen amen no what i wanted to say i wanted before we got too far yes um just about biblical worldview um is is my belief and i think this is um biblical that the biblical worldview should start in our homes. Yes. Right. Yes. And I, cause I think I made a statement that it should uh, be the job of the church, but oh, I think the yeah. church uh, should supplement what's happening already in our home. And I think we have, um, you know, outsourced a lot of things to the church and yeah. to other people where first, the first stop for the gospel should be at home. And then the church should come in and reinforce what's already being taught. And I just wanted to, to backtrack what I was, was oh, saying. Oh, yeah. No, I appreciate that. That's a great distinction because I think that's so much of what we want to affirm, even in the way that we live and navigate life. Um, you think about the promise that's preached by Peter. And I want to hear from you on this, Renton, as well. But the promise preached by Peter, it's for you, for your children, and those afar off that the mm. Lord your God will call. And I think so often we have skipped over that home aspect of what the Lord expects of us, Deuteronomy 6, yeah. you know, what's been entrusted yeah. to fathers. And and I would say that um, fostering or even preaching and teaching a biblical worldview, a way to see the world through the lens of scripture, absolutely would be the first stop in the family. Yeah. Yes. And isn't that at the heart of why anyone homeschools in the first place? Yeah. That no one has influence over your children as much as you do, whether it's negative or positive, and no one loves them as much as you do. And and understanding that that Deuteronomy, and as you go even through the, the arc of all of scripture, there is always this connection to the generations. Yeah. Uh, in the Hebrew, it's called the Toledot. The idea that these generations are affected by, by the parents and that what you do as parents has an effect down the road. And you look at the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments talks about God hating generations, but blessing generations that follow the Lord. Mm. Yeah. And, and that, you know, that doesn't go away. God doesn't change his mind in the New Testament and says, well, that's how I used to do it. Now I got a different thing. Um he does, you know, have his, you know, the same God of the old is, the, is in the new. And so if that's the case, our responsibility as, as parents is much greater than we thought. Mm. Uh, much more, um, how do I put it? it that, uh, that verse in Proverbs that talks about training up the child in the way he should go, and when he is mm. old, he will not depart from it. Mm-hmm. That really should haunt us. We shouldn't try and and talk that verse out of taking away responsibility. I know that there are, and this is the thing, I know there are good people that have tried their best and the kid walks away and I get all that, but let's not talk our way out of understanding that that this is our responsibility for our children. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And not just to have a good knowledge of a biblical worldview where this makes the most sense or this was our tradition mm-hmm. to have to have biblical worldview in our hearts where it changes 
our actions and who we are. Um, that's got to be that's got to be at the heart of it because as a secular professor, I mean, as a professor in a secular colleges for many years, I can tell you that when a kid goes off to a secular college, their testimony lasts about as long as they want to defend mom and dad's religion. Oh, Ooh. hold on, hold on, hold on. But you gotta <laughs> you gotta let us process just a second, Man. just a second. Hold up. Okay. So let's let's stay here for a second because you blow. you just my goodness you just rightfully offended so many parents whose kids are in a or at a secular university right now but the the offense probably is greatest because what you just said is true what you yeah. just said is reality that we don't want to admit so so let's talk about how that happens um what you just said how does that happen Okay, so, you know, going back to what, you know, we were talking about mm. with how does holiness go into all this mm. biblical worldview stuff? My fear, the whole reason I even care so much about this, my whole fear is that I have lived for 15 years teaching in secular colleges and universities. And I watched these kids walk in who came from a, a Christian family and they have all the mind stuff, mm -hmm. you know, they, they went through the curriculum, they get the, the logical pieces of biblical worldview, but what they end up defending, if it's not in their heart, if it's not their worldview, what they end up def defending is mom and dad's religion that they're very fond of, but it's not theirs. Mm. And so the minute they are humiliated, because what they probably do is they watch some YouTube thing about apologetics and they get in the room and they think, oh, I got this great argument for my professor. But mm -hmm. they forget a professor has a PhD and has been doing this for decades and has heard that same argument about a million times the last time a Christian kid thought he had him. And so then he turns the whole argument around and makes the kid not only look stupid, but really question whether or not any of this is true. And at that point, the kid wonders, am I just defending mom and dad or do I really believe this? And, you know, at that point, and sometimes when it's too late, mm -hmm. that's when they're finally wondering if all this knowledge that I have in my head actually is what I believe in my heart. Mm. And, and holiness, which is God likeness, mm -hmm. we can put it that way. Cause God says from the beginning, be holy, because that's what I am. And from that, everything else flows um, about God. And so when we are not making the connection, how is it possible that this biblical worldview that's very heady, it's the lenses I put on, how does that relate to the heart attitude that I have? How have I changed in my heart because of this? Or if this is just a good argument so we Christians don't sound stupid. Mm. And that's really what we're afraid of. Wow. So Renton, wow. what what are we what are we looking for, not only as parents, but also in our own life? I, I think because as much as what you are saying 
Um, as, as much as that is true for our children, I think it is also true for us as adults, as, as purported followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes what we have is more akin to a cultural Christianity that we are Christian as long as we are surrounded by Christians. And when we are in an environment or in an, in a context where that gets pressed in on, where we have to actually defend what we believe from a place of strong conviction, right? And this, this can be among people that we respect who even also call themselves Christian, but, but they have a convincing argument that there is a new way to be a Christian. So my question is, it's two parts here, both for our kids and for us. How do we know that this biblical worldview that we have, right, that, that, that we study, that, that we want to be able to kind of spout off when people ask us questions about, you know, how we vote or, or where, where, we, where we stand on this issue. We want to be able to give the biblical response. How do we know that there is actual holiness in our life that is consistent with all of the things that we are professing? Mm. It comes down to asking yourself if, if you really have accepted the reality that the scripture gives you, or have we become Christian Hindus? Hmm. What I mean by this is that if you ask a missionary who's gone to India and tried to minister to Hindus, it's very frustrating for them because they'll say, you need to know Jesus Christ. And they go, oh, who's Jesus Christ? And he talks about Jesus Christ. And they're like, awesome. I'll, of course I'll accept Jesus Christ. But what they mean by that is they now have a new idol that they put next to the other idols. Mm -hmm. And now Jesus Christ has become a part of their other idols. <sighs> so they, you know, they worship all these different gods. And now Jesus Christ is one of the many gods that they've added. Mm -hmm. And they're so glad you told them about them so they can add that to it. <laughs> um, this is how our children, I'll, I'll first start with how kids are seeing the world today and show you how that's how we have been seeing the world and that's affected our holiness. So young people, what they, what they, how they see the world begins with this thing. This thing tells them that all authority out there in the world cannot be trusted. Mm -hmm. And sadly, there's a lot of authorities that have let us down. And so there's some truth to it. But the idea is that authorities can't be trusted, but your experiences and your uniqueness can be trusted. In fact, that's what makes you special is how unique you are and the experiences you have felt. And that's how you can know what's true or false about the world. Don't let anyone tell you differently. And so that's what's coming through the phone. The phone is filled with that kind of idea. Mm -hmm. And so they begin to start setting a plate of what reality is based on their experiences, based on their what makes them unique, whatever that thing is. And then they start gaining ethics from that. What mm. do I believe is right and wrong from that? And then we send them to church and church says, you need God in your life. And they're like, absolutely. Let's add that to the other things we've been worshiping. So we've been worshiping at the feet of our experiences, our uniqueness. We've been worshiping at the feet of what we think is right and wrong. And now we add God, but God has to fit into the rest of our deities that we've been worshiping. Oh my goodness. And so God then has to be a God that accepts me for my experiences and my uniqueness. So if I have experiences that seem to contradict scripture, then God needs to figure that out and to adjust to me. Mm. Because God is the garnish that I put on the plate that I've already made. Oh, my goodness. And so what I have found 
is that if we start talking about biblical worldview as lenses, we what we end up doing is saying, here's another God, the God of biblical worldview. Add that to the rest. Wow. And so the lenses then become, how do these lenses fit into my plate that I've already made? And they start skewing the lenses. Um, and so a good definition of biblical worldview is where we need to begin to understand where reality even starts. What I have found with a lot of definitions of biblical worldview starts with us. You know, it's our, you know, it's, it's, you know, my beliefs, values, and assumptions that help me interpret <laughs> the world. And that's great. And a Christian and a biblical worldview would be my biblical beliefs and my biblical assumptions and my biblical values that help me interpret the world. And that's wonderful. But the real question is, what is a biblical worldview? Because that's what it does. A biblical worldview allows you to interpret the world mm. through God's word. But what is it? And this is how I've defined biblical worldview. A biblical worldview is God's explanation of God's world that we understand through God's word, which is for God's image bearers. Mm. So we start trapped That's in good. God. Yes. So God's explanation is already there. It is his <laughs> world, not our world. And it is through his word, not our word. And, it, and his word graciously wow. is understandable because it's for us. And so that helps us as image bearers use God's word in order to interpret God's world so that we can align ourselves with his explanation that he's already given us in his word. It's all about it, God. Yes. yes. It starts all, with him, not, the, not us. Which, and that's how we normally but, perceive but that. But this goes back to me. And, and my goodness, wow. listen. That's, that's good. Please continue just slicing and dicing and offending all of us left and right <laughs> with what you're saying please for the glory That's of god good. upset us okay and upset what we think we know because i i'm hearing the definition come from you that i have heard my kids say that i that 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 we have been taught and so to hear you shred that and to go back to god is um is earth shattering for it's me where it but it be. is so good <laughs> like Man, right good. when you when you said that i thought Absolutely. Listen, Renton, I had a conversation years ago with a sister in the Lord. And just to kind of drive home the, the point of we always want to start with us. This is this is the flesh, right? This is sort of like the effects of the fall manifested. Like this is our our reality is that apart from Christ, and you know, even this is a struggle that that we want to start with us. We 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 are so important to us, right? And so I had a conversation with a sister and I asked her to tell me who God is. And the immediate response was, he is my, he is my, he is my. And, and I said, okay, great. Now tell me who he is apart from you. Hmm. And she said, well, that's an interesting question. Um, no one's ever asked me that. I don't know that I can do that. And so oh. gently, and this was a discipleship relationship, right? And so gently, I said, it's important that you are able to do that because God, yes, he is near to us and he is compassionate toward us, but he exists independently of us. He has need of nothing and no one. Aseity. See, exactly right. <laughs> so so we, we must be able 
to describe God as he has revealed himself mm-hmm. to us. He has revealed himself as the independent one. And when I hear you talk about biblical worldview, Renton, yes, I'm thinking... that definition needs to go viral. Oh, my goodness. That definition that needs to go viral. That is the definition. <laughs> <laughs> like, that is the... That's the definition. Oh. Um, so can you just restate it, please, with with, with all of the, the um, you know, the, the warrior Roman centurion, whatever that was in what you just said? Yes. A biblical worldview is God's explanation of God's world through God's word for God's image bearers. And 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 for us as image bearers, we can then do something with that. Image bearers can use God's word in order to interpret God's world so that we can then align ourselves with God's explanation. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just say la. I'm just never speechless really hardly ever okay but I love this so much and I'm so grateful for it because man I think this is the invitation that the Lord has extended to us right to come back to him to come back to him even among those of us who are genuinely professing Christians um we are not aware um often we are not aware of the ways that the world really infiltrates our faithfulness or affects our faithfulness to the Lord, infiltrates body life. And we've adopted so many things from the world that's kind of been cleaned up. And we thought that this was biblical. And we thought, you know, we say we want to get back to the Bible, but really what we've done is we've just kind of grabbed something from the world and and try to tack a whole lot of scripture, almost like a paper mache. We just want to cover it up. And then we say that this is what it is. But I think what you just did um, was shatter a lot of, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of defini- definitions about what biblical worldview is. Yeah. I was, I was wrestling with, um, that we would call this episode, you know, biblical worldview must produce holiness. But now I think I'm just going to call it, you don't know what biblical worldview is. <laughs> yes. Appropriate. That's, that's got to yes. provoke people, right? Yes, that's right. So, so I, I want to, I want to just leave it here because I think that this is a great way for us to wrap up this episode. And, um, in a follow-up episode, I want to talk about depravity <laughs> mm. because we haven't been weighty enough. Like <laughs> we, we don't feel badly enough about who we are renting. So let's talk about, <laughs> let's talk about depravity. People are like, Oh, can't wait to click on that one. Um, but, but I, I think it's so important for us. Listen, Jesus is worthy. Jesus is worthy. And, 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 and I do, I am aware that we have not actually put a bow on, um, strong biblical worldview producing holiness in our kids. I I know that we've talked about it and we've talked about why they walk away and we've kind of touched on that. Um, so, so maybe before we wrap up, can I just circle back to that and, and talk about just, just briefly here how we may disciple and train our kids to a point where observably they are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, because it's not just behavior modification that we're after. It's, it's a genuine conversion experience that, mm-hmm. that we should be able to also observe. Mm. I, I have, you know, I have a 23 year old who is now married and I have a seven and an eight year old. And so it is, uh, it's like, you know, like I tell my 23 year old, I say, you know, this time we're going to do it right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. 
you almost feel that way because yes. I, I look back on the horrible mistakes. <laughs> um, one of the things I think I I did terribly with, and God was gracious with my 23 year old. He's he's a good man, and and thank goodness. But it wasn't my fault. I'll tell you that. Um, <laughs> but it was what I what I realized is I always had to be perfect and never admit my sin to my children, mm. never repent in front of them, and never show them that I'm actually depending on God. I never told my son that I was afraid of something, and I want to pray with you, son, you know, so that God gives me help, and you can watch my life and see mm. how that all works out. I just never showed him anything. And what I'm realizing is our children need to see that we repent to God when we when we blow our lid on our kids, mm-hmm. um, and we we know we went too far. You mm-hmm. know when when we start making the excuse, well, they need to understand the wrath of God. Uh, <laughs> we know, okay, well, we probably went too far on that one. Uh, they need to hear us say, even when they're little kids, you know what, Daddy, Daddy lost his temper. Mm. And he should not have said that to you, or he shouldn't have yelled like that. Mm-hmm. It's okay for him to yell sometimes, but not like that. And you right. know what I mean? And I'm sorry. And I, I need to ask God to forgive me. And they start seeing in your life that you are depending on him. I think sometimes kids grow up thinking, well, mom and dad never really depended on God. So why am I needing God? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I need to tell my kids, hey, I have, I have to speak in front of 2000 kids today when I'm speaking in chapel and daddy's scared. Hmm. Daddy thinks he's going to say the wrong thing or say something that will get him fired. Can we pray together? (laughs) And uh, so daddy can have some strength from the Lord. And then when they come to chapel and they watch me speak, they're like, wow, daddy sounds like he's confident. Hmm. And, and they, God must've, must've done something. And Hmm. so then they're seeing this in your life. It's not a theory. And That's I think so a lot of kids are trying to defend a theory and yeah. they're not trying to defend something they have seen make wow. a difference in their life. <clears throat> wow. Renton, brother. <laughs> yeah, it's good. We love you. Okay. Like I just, I just, I just got to tell you right now, um, what a blessing you are. Thank you so much for joining us to talk about biblical worldview and the way that you did. I mean, we, we talk about biblical worldview, but I, I, man, I don't know. I just, I feel like today, we have all caps talks about biblical worldview and, and I'm really grateful for it. Um, one of the ways that we like to encourage our, our listeners is that when we resist those cultural trends that rival the truth, we remain culture proof. And man, I think even just this conversation has, has culture proofed us mm-hmm. even more. Like Amen. it, it is, it has made us aware of the ways that maybe we have, um, reduced our view of God, even as we are trying to see the world through a biblical lens. Like we yeah. have, we've, we've begun with us. And, yeah. and I think the Lord is calling us, all of us collectively, um, to begin with him. Like he's the beginning, Amen. right? He's, he's the alpha and the, the omega. So anyway, Renton, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. When we <laughs> resist those cultural trends that rival the truth, we remain culture proof until next time, Lord willing. God bless. God bless.